Thanks guys, that's a great finishing line, isn't it? Why should I fear? Because the evidence is here. Love that. Great to see you here this morning. Great to be with you at Tumby and online. If you're watching this on YouTube, either now live or a little bit later on. Um, Jesse, thank you for wearing a shirt similar to mine. We are realising it's summer and that's a good thing. Um, this was a Christmas present, so always good to wear a Christmas present. Um, as Kev just mentioned, we are in a new series, a series uh, really looking at how we are shaped for mission. Because we sensed as we um, worked through last year that God is really um, putting us in a direction to be His church. And to be His church means that we're actually on mission, which is His mission in His world. Um, so we're really looking forward to seeing where God leads us this year um, and actually being on that journey together. If you missed last week's message where Jeff kicked this off, can I encourage you to get onto YouTube, um, our Coast Community Church page on YouTube, check out Jeff's message from last week where he just set the foundation for what we're looking at for these four weeks in January. Um, and so Jeff looked at what it means to be shaped for mission, both individually and as a community, as a church. Um, and he talked about how the whole Christian life must be mission-shaped. To actually understand that to say you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, means that you are on mission. It's not an optional extra. Uh, and he talked about uh, God's plan, God's dream, God's desire is, is unity, is oneness. And um, so that's God's purpose in creation. That was Jesus' prayer out of John chapter 17. Um, and it's the Holy Spirit's mission, purpose, to bring us into that unity and that oneness. Jeff reminded us that because Jesus was on mission in the world, and now he sent the Holy Spirit to be in us to continue that mission, because Jesus is on mission and we are in Christ, we are therefore on mission. Again, it's not an optional extra. It's actually what the Christian life's about. And then he finished up with this line of that, we are living invitations. I loved that. We are living invitations to the family of God just by who we are and how we live our life. And so to go into this week, I want us to realize that it actually all started with an invitation. It started with Jesus along the shore of the Sea of Galilee inviting some people into a different kind of life. Let's read what he said there. This is in Matthew chapter 4, and we see, As Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he noticed two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me as my disciples, accepting me as your master and teacher, and walking the same path of life that I walk. And I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him, becoming his disciples, believing and trusting in him and following his example. So there's that first invitation. And Jesus extended that invitation to many other people. We know of the 12, but we know it was much wider than the 12. There was this invitation into a kind of life with God and with others that works. And that's where Jesus started his ministry. 
And then at the end of Matthew's account of the life of Jesus, what we call the Gospel of Matthew, we see another passage that speaks into the same issue that you're probably quite familiar with if you've been around church for any amount of time. And we know it often as the Great Commission. It says this, Then Jesus came to them, that's his disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In another translation, it says this, Go and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life. In another translation, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Help the people to learn of me, believe in me and obey my words. So it went from an invitation to these guys who then walked and and lived with Jesus for three years and saw what he was like and what he did and how he connected with God and how he connected with people. And then Jesus sort of finishes his time with them in Matthew's account to say, hey, go and do the same thing. You've seen it, you've practiced it, make this what your life looks like. Now, when we read, make disciples of all the nations, I don't know what comes to mind for you. But for many of us, it is this idea that, okay, if I'm going to be on mission, if I'm going to be a missionary, does that mean my life as I know it needs to come to an end and I have to go to some far off country? some other nation because many of us think that and many of us if we're really honest go I'm not going to do that I'm not willing to do that I don't feel like God's called me to do that haven't heard the booming voice so I'm going to stay where I'm comfortable I'm going to live my life just like everyone else lives their life around me and we'll just try to ignore this a little bit of all the nations, make disciples of all the nations. What we've got to understand in the context of this, the, probably the most accurate translation of this would be, go and make disciples of all the different ethnic groups around you. That's probably a more accurate translation for this context. It wasn't talking about, okay, get in your boat and travel to Africa, get in your boat and go and discover America and Australia and start doing stuff there. It wasn't this idea of the nations as we know it. It was go and make disciples of not only the people who you're close to, but the people who are, who are far off, people who are a bit different to you, different ethnic groups, people who might believe something differently. And so it seems overwhelming to me, I don't know about you, seems overwhelming to think that okay I've got my life and potentially family and work and study and whatever life looks like for me and then on top of that I've got to go and just make disciples of nations how do how do I do that where will I get the time for that how can I afford that what about all these other things that I have to be involved in that need my time and attention and I don't know enough about it. So how can I do it? I don't have all the answers. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to explain it all. I don't know all the church history. I I can't even 
tell you what all the books are called in the Bible. I don't know how I would do that. And so again, we have that sort of thinking and we go, I just won't do it. I'll, I'll just stay in my little comfortable bubble um, and, and just try to pretend that doesn't happen. Um, now it's interesting that Matthew was not the only person who wrote about the life of Jesus and there's a guy called Luke who also wrote some things Jesus did and said and when we read Matthew's gospel we often think that those words we just read out were the last words of Jesus but chronologically they probably weren't and so when we look at Luke's gospel if we come right to the end of Luke's gospel chapter 24 I'm going to read this part it won't be on on the screen Um, and this is what Luke says at the end so Jesus is talking to his disciples and he told them he said while I was with you um, this is what I told you everything must be fulfilled that was written in the scriptures in the law and the prophets it must be fulfilled about me and so then Jesus opened up their minds so they could understand the scriptures that they were familiar with those scriptures that the disciples were familiar with is what we call the Old Testament in our Bible so they were familiar with those writings Jesus explained how he fits into that Um, and he opened their minds and he said this is what is written the Messiah will suffer and rise sorry the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be preached to all nations beginning in Jerusalem then he says to the disciples you are my witnesses to these things you've seen this happen And because of that, I'm going to send you what my Father, what God in heaven, I'm going to send you what he promised. Now stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high, is what he said. And then he led them out to a place called Bethany, where he blessed them and he was taken up into heaven before their very eyes. That's the end of Luke's gospel. In the message translation look at some of the words here so he opened their understanding to the word of god he said now you can see how it's written that the messiah suffers rises from the dead on the third day and there's a total life change through the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed in his name to all nations starting from here from jerusalem and you're the first to see it and hear it you're the witnesses Now what comes next is very important. I'm going to send what my father promised to you. So stay here in the city until he arrives, until you're equipped with power from on high. So Jesus knew that this call to go and make disciples of all the nations, you cannot do it in your own strength. You cannot do it in your own intellect. You cannot do it in your own historical understanding. You cannot do it in your own gift of the gab. You just cannot do it. You've got to wait until you're equipped with this power from the Holy Spirit that enables you to do the things that Jesus has called you to do. Now, for those who've spent a little bit of time around church or the Bible, you would know that Luke has a second part of this story. So he told the story of Jesus and his life and his ministry. Then Luke goes on basically the second chapter, which we call the book of Acts or the Acts of the Apostles. And it's actually describing what the disciples, the apostles did once they received this power, this Holy Spirit power. And so 
When we read some of that, I want to put a bit of this on the screen for you to just look at. This is the start of the book of Acts, so it follows on from what I just read to you. And so Luke says, in my former book, which is that gospel account, and he addresses this to a guy called Theophilus, um, he says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. And after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, and after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after, this, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So a bit of an echo of what we read at the end of Luke's Gospel but it fleshes it out a little bit more. So, in, again, in another translation, what you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and over Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the world. Without the Holy Spirit's presence, we are not able to witness on behalf of Jesus Christ. We are not able to represent him. So we don't have to do it in our own strength. We actually have to just say, hey, Holy Spirit, that, that's in me. Use this body, use this mouth, use this person to do what you want to do. It's that surrendering. It's that letting go. It's that laying down of our life, Jesus said. It's that surrendering to go, use me for your mission in this world. Speak your words through me. Do your acts of kindness through me. It's a beautiful picture of how Jesus puts it all together. Now, when we have this verse on the screen that the Holy Spirit will empower you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, there's a link back to that first invitation of Jesus to those fishermen where he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, follow me and I will turn you into the kind of person who can be my witness wherever you go. It really is a great um, image that, that, that we use there in scripture. And so to put this in context, you can see down the bottom of this map is Jerusalem. And that's the city where they were when all this was going on. And surrounding the city of Jerusalem is this area called Judea. And then just north of that is this area called Samaria. And so this is what the people were thinking in their head as Jesus said these things. So you're going to begin this work in Jerusalem, right where you are. And then it's going to spread out into this area called Judea where there is support and, and probably some understanding of who you are and what you're doing. 
and then you're going to venture potentially into an area where it could be a bit hostile. And that's the picture Jesus gave them. So what does, what does this mean for us? And there's been plenty of um, written about what these areas mean, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Um, but generally speaking for us, we need to consider, well, well, what's the context of what Jesus is saying and how does that apply to our context today? So Jerusalem, the most holy and sacred place in Jesus' day, the place where the temple was, where God's presence was. Now Jesus is now saying, hang on, I, I am God and my presence has been among you and I am going and I'm going to send my own spirit into you so God's presence is still here but he's not stuck in a building. God's presence is in you, with you. And so remember the church and this was the start of the church, the church is not a building, the church is the people, the church is you and I. The church is the disciples back in those days who were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so wherever they were gathering in Jerusalem, in a home, with their family, that was the beginning place to be the witnesses of Jesus. It starts in the home. And I love our focus for last year. Spread out your home. Enlarge your house. Why? Because the home is central for discipleship and followership of Jesus to be lived out. The early church understood that the home was just that fertile ground for discipleship to happen, even amongst your own family. It's where we learn to live as Christians. Just think about your own family context, the people you potentially live with or have lived with in the past if you're on your own at the moment. It's in relationship with family that we learn to be patient and kind and generous and giving and tolerant and selfless. All those things that just describe the character of the Christian. The family, the home is a really important place of discipleship. For parents, you are responsible for discipling your children in your home. We, I think, as a, as a culture, have wanted to outsource that. We've wanted to outsource that to a Sunday school program, to a Christian school, to a youth group. All those things are awesome and they, um, they help and they contribute to the discipling of a child but parents you are responsible for discipling your children and parents you know that even when your children get into their 20s and their 30s and their 40s and their 50s you still have a role in that so that's Jerusalem so we need to ask ourselves maybe well how does my home how's my home set up to help prepare me and those in my home to share our faith with others, to actually live as followers of Jesus. How do we prepare our children in our home to not only follow Jesus themselves, but then share that with others? And so out of Jerusalem, surrounded Jerusalem is Judea. And Judea was like the neighbourhood where Jerusalem was located. So after being in your own home and, and, and doing some work in that space, let, let's spread out a little bit into the wider neighbourhood and share the good news of Jesus. Be a witness for him. 
So where is that for you in your context today? Where is the Judea for you? Is it the regular coffee shop you go to? Is it the gym you work out at? Is it your workplace? Is it your sporting team that you spend a couple of afternoons a week training with and then playing on the weekend? Where's the Judea for you? Where's the neighbourhood where you're spending a bit of time? And then lastly, Jesus asked the disciples to go to Samaria, that area that was just north of them that they didn't really want to be going to. Now, the Jews avoided Samaria, avoided Samaritans. That's why that story Jesus told about the Good Samaritan was so shocking because they had such a low opinion and view of the Samaritan people that there's no way the Samaritan could do something that was better than the priest or or, or one of the fellow Jews. And when Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well, remember his disciples said, what are you doing talking to her? She's a Samaritan and she's a woman. What are you doing? And so there's this bias against the Samaritans in that context. Now Jesus not only made a point of talking about the Samaritans, but he made a point of going through Samaria to show his disciples that this good news, this message is for all people, not just you. The people we think may not deserve it, Jesus said, nah, this good news is for them as well. And so When we look at this, what is the Samaria for us today? Think about that. Who are the people or the places that we just try to avoid? We don't want to go there. Don't want to put ourselves in that situation. Maybe we mistrust them. Maybe we think they're less than us. Let's be honest, we, we do have those thoughts. We don't want to admit it to anybody, but but we're human. There are people that we think are lower than us. It's part of our natural human tendency. And Jesus asks his disciples and he's asking us to actually go out from what is most familiar and most comfortable to be with those who are on the margins. Those whose society might say that they're not worth it. They're troublemakers. They've got too many problems. They'll corrupt you if you hang out with them. Where is Samaria for you, for me? And so there's this outgoing concentric circles that we see in this story and it's true for us today as it was for the disciples in that context. Starting in our home, moving into our neighbourhood, our suburb, our workplace, our school, our university moving into those areas where there's people maybe we don't know or we don't want to know. All of it is part of what we're called to do. And so that might seem really daunting. Why would we even do this? Can't we just have our personalised faith? I believe in Jesus and I'm going to go to heaven when I die, so I'm okay, thank you, Jack. Why can't we just live like that? Well, my observation of my life, and I'm not going to put this on anybody else, is that for most of my Christian life, I have lived like that. 
I don't know about you. And it's not a nice thing to say or to admit. I haven't cared much about others. I've been more concerned that I'm okay with God. And am I? If I'm not doing all these things? Am I? Good question. What would motivate us to do this? What would motivate us to give our life for the sake of others, for those who do not yet know Jesus? I was reading some research by McCrindle, who published a report in 2017 um, on faith and belief in Australia. And I was actually a little bit shocked to read that, that his findings were one in 29 people in Australia have never even heard of Jesus. And I'm thinking, oh, I know what my upbringing's been like in Australia. How could that be possible? One in 29 have never even heard of Jesus. And the other thing that grabbed me was that about 1.5 million Australian adults do not even know a Christian person. Now, I would have said, no, Australia, everyone's heard about Jesus in Australia. Everyone's, you know, there's so many Christians that, you know, we're in every sphere of influence, we're in every workplace. Apparently not. Do we care enough for those who do not yet know Jesus to say, Jesus, I'm actually going to surrender myself to let you lead me and guide me and be your witness so that those who do not yet know you can, can come to know you? Imagine that. So let's come back to Acts 1 verse 8. Jesus said to his followers, you can't do anything, don't do anything, until the Holy Spirit came to be with you and empowered them. And so what we see is that the Holy Spirit was sent because Jesus physically was going away. Jesus physically could only be in one place at one time. It's an ingenious plan for him to go, okay, I will go back to be with the Father, but I'll send my Spirit so so God's spirit, God's presence can be with millions of people through the world at any one given time. It really is an intelligent plan. I don't know why we would think it wasn't. And so Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and he said to them through various passages we have in Scripture, this is what the Holy Spirit will do when you receive him. He will comfort you. He will guide you to know the truth. He will remind you of all the things that Jesus said and did. He will give you the right words to say at the right time when you are witnessing for him, towards him. And he will fill you with all the power that you need to do what he's called you to do. We don't have to do this in our own strength. What good news is that? So on the, Kev mentioned it earlier, on the daily Bible reading plan that we put together on our website, so every, every day, Monday through to Friday, there's a passage of Scripture just to sit in. Uh, this week, I've put the five passages, and three of those passages are, are actually chapters. It's John chapter 14, John chapter 15, and John chapter 16. Can I encourage you this week, more than encourage you, can I ask you? No, that, what, what am I doing? I command you. No, no, I won't do that. Um, Check out, if nothing else, those three chapters this week with the eye 
to say, what is Jesus saying about the role of the Holy Spirit? Check it out. I don't have time to go into that today, but it's things like, he will be with you forever. He will live in you. He will teach you all things. He will help you bear fruit. He will um, reveal truth to you. He will testify about who Jesus is. There's so much in that. John chapter 14, 15, 16. Check that out this week. So as we look at this, as we bring it to a close, we see that we are called to be part of God's mission. It's what it means to have a Christian faith. It's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's what it means to be a disciple who makes disciples. And the great news is that God himself indwells us through his spirit as the source of the power to do the things he's calling us to do. It's not up to you and me in our own strength. And thank God for that. Because I don't know about you, I feel completely inadequate to do that. And I'm a pastor in a church. I feel completely inadequate to do that. So we are shaped by the Holy Spirit to become more like the person of Jesus, which when we become more like the person of Jesus, we can naturally witness to what Jesus is like because we are becoming like him in our character and our nature. And we are shaped by the Holy Spirit to be living invitations to those who do not yet know Jesus into a life with God and with others that works. Go back and check out our series last year about the good life. It's this life that works. It's a life that brings meaning and purpose. It's a life where there's peace and there's joy, regardless of the circumstances around us. It's a life where there's hope, where there's no fear. Imagine that in this context we're living in. And we are shaped by the Holy Spirit to be on God's mission in this world which is what Jesus was all about. This is the kind of life that Jesus wanted to pass on to his disciples and to the church. It's the kind of life that we inherit when we step into that life with Jesus. It's a vibrant life. It's a life full of love and meaning and purpose and hope. That's the kind of life we want to live and that's the kind of life we want to pass on to those who don't experience that yet. How about we pray about that together? So Father God, I thank you that you are a God who in your wisdom just knows what is the best thing for us, what is the best thing in terms of how we relate to you, how we live life with one another. And, and what you've done to, to draw us into that is to, given us, is to give us your own spirit. The same spirit that was involved in the creation of the world, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit you place in us. And so our prayer, God, as my prayer as an individual, my prayer for us as a church, is that we would learn to live a life of surrender to your spirit so that your power, your love, your joy your kindness, your goodness just flows in us and through us so that the world would know who you are and that you love us and have a purpose for us. 
Let us be a church. Let us be a people. Let us be a family of believers who surrenders to that for your glory and for your honour. Amen.